everyone, and welcome to That Wellness Podcast with Natalie Deering. I am sitting here with Carrie Riley. Hello, Carrie. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk today. Me too. I am. I'm really excited to talk to you. You have so many, you have so many specialties, so many trainings, so many interests, and parts of me are really into the things that you're into. And so I feel like we could spend probably like hours talking about all these different things that you do and that I'm interested in. But I figured today we could focus more on grief specifically. Sure. And, and yeah, we'll, we'll get into, to all things grief and specifically the grief recovery method. But first I, I want to introduce you formally to the listeners so you hold, like I said, a number of different specialties, certifications, trainings, but I, I wanted to give like a nice little snapshot of maybe some of the main ones we would say maybe that you're currently maybe doing or offering. And and if you're interested in knowing all of Carrie's trainings, you can go to her website. <laughs> you have them beautifully listed in a timeline which I appreciated. I thought that parts of me were like, Oh, that's really cool. Showing sure. the timeline well, of all your training. And that's really Natalie, like what you just said. I think that a lot of people have a lot of varied interests as well. We're all multi-passionate. Right. And I right. think uh, some people can understand, you know, the bits and pieces that they care that I've worked with and the other pieces they can leave. So you hold a specialty in Ashtanga yoga, maternal child health and kinesiology the grief recovery method, which we'll get into more today. And you're currently working towards your master's of social work with the end goal of working in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really cool. <laughs> Again, there's parts of me that are like, Oh, I'm into all those things. <laughs> <laughs> and all those things. So the way that you and I have come to know each other is we met briefly at an entrepreneurial event through the beauty boost and you had a tabling there at the event. And I remember when the roster was posted with the different, uh, you know, providers that were going to be there at the different, you know, tablings, I saw your name and then the grief recovery method. I think you had listed next to your name and that really grabbed my attention because number one, I had never heard of it before. And number two, grief, of course, aligns with mental health therapy, which is what I'm into and all those things. So I was really excited to meet you and to get more information about the grief recovery method. So I remember, you know, I got to the event and was checking all the different tables. And then I saw where you were. And at the time, you had like a crowd of people, you know, in front <laughs> of your table and I think you were, were you having them do like a grief screening? Cause I didn't get a chance yes. to do it. Yeah. We actually did uh where in your body are you holding your grief? So oh, we did cool. a, a, like an assessment using your chakra system as a body map to see where is the grief in your body. Mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So there was like this, like group, the swarm of people that were <laughs> filling out this awesome screening. And I was like in the back, like, <laughs> <laughs> waiting to to get up to you at the table and so that's how we first introduced each other and then 
kind of got to know each other more through our mutual friend, Caitlin, yeah, who I've interviewed on the podcast about lymphatic work. And now you're yeah. here. And yeah. I'm very grateful that, yeah, that I've gotten connected with you. So how does it feel now to shift into talking about grief? You know, it feels good. And it's funny that you bring up um, being in an event where people have fun things they could do at different tables. And I had the crowd, which most people wouldn't think the grief lady has the crowd, but um, <laughs> there it was. <laughs> there it was. Well, I want to say this because I was thinking about this before we logged on with each other. I feel like grief is an important topic, I think always, but especially I think right now, because I, I, I think it's fair to say that probably everyone on this planet is, has been going through some sort of level of grieving because of the pandemic experience mm -hmm. where whether or not you're grieving someone who's passed or maybe you got fired from a job or maybe you had to made, make the decision during the pandemic to leave a job. I just feel like, or a relationship ending, you know, during the pandemic because mm -hmm. of all the stress mm -hmm. and whatnot. I just feel like as we're three years from the start of that experience, I would say that, yeah, that this is a, this is a very relevant and important topic to be sharing with people because most likely I would say again, yeah, that mostly everyone at this point is going through some level of grief. Would yeah. you agree? I do. You know, because when you think about it, a lot of people associate grief with death. So they think of losing a, a maybe a family member, relative, friend, or a pet. Um, and they don't realize that grief is so much more beyond that. And I just actually read a study a couple of days ago that said, of everyone you come in contact with on a daily basis, one of three are actively grieving a recent death. So imagine the other two of three, all the other grief events that can be going on. So exactly what you just said, probably everyone is grieving. So yeah. it's nice to remember that before you step out of the house and interact with people, right? Mm. Well, yeah, because you saying that just now, I just felt... I just felt like some warming in my heart space, which I, I feel like resonates with accessing compassion. Yeah, this, for sure. Like what you just said of like, you know, let's say you're at the grocery store and like someone's, I don't know, blended with frustration. And I don't know, they might be saying things that might are activating you or might be considered rude or whatnot. And again, it's not to excuse it's not to excuse certain types of behavior, but I do feel like it does help maybe put things in perspective of we don't know what other people are going through, you know, within themselves and in their own personal lives and whatnot. And like you said, if one out of three people at this point are experiencing grief related to, you said specifically like a death, right? Yes. Yeah. But also then think about the other two people and how it doesn't have to be a death. It can be grieving through other things, which we'll talk about in terms of, yeah, what can activate that grieving process within us as humans. So yeah, that's a good thing to, good point to bring up because I feel like it, it does, it helps access some of that compassion within. For sure. Yeah. Yes. So I'm curious, you know, how did you come to working with grief as your specialty? Do you care to share? Sure. About sure. that journey? 
Yeah. So, you know, they say wounded people go to heal other wounded people. So Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, through my own grief. Um, In 2016, I unexpectedly lost my husband. Um, He was active duty in the army and um, it was a PTSD driven suicide. Mm -hmm. Um, So my my grief uh, and our we had two boys that were three and 13 when he died. So the, the three of us had a lot to process and it was, it was multiple because we also had to deal with, there's so much stigma around suicide and people are uh, even more challenged to support you through that because it's such a, a taboo topic. So fortunately the, the department of defense and the veterans administration is really uh, good at providing support um, and resources. And so we had a peer counselor that checked in on the family a lot, and we were given a lot of different um, support groups. Um, So I had something that the kids were doing specifically that was just for kids, and I had a support group. And so I went through that for probably about five years, um, and I saw a therapist three times a week for nearly five years, and I was still grieving. And what's worse is I didn't know I was still grieving after all this Mm. time, because society kind of makes you feel like after a certain amount of time, it's like, you're just supposed to be better. So I didn't know what was wrong with me that I was still having all these challenges, you know, years later, when I thought my time was up, you know, I had hit the the threshold for the grief. So um, I happened to be listening to a podcast. I do not remember which one right now, or even who this was, but there was a woman on and she casually said, grief recovery method. And instantly a bell goes off because, hi, I've been digging deep in every every recovery, anything for five years. I've never heard of this. What is this? Sort of like what you said earlier, you know, you've never heard of it. So I get on the Google machine and, you know, next thing I know, I'm, I'm going through um, the grief recovery method for myself. And um, it was honestly the first thing that made a difference. Mm. Um, And that's when I knew, you know, I needed to train and work with people because I had no idea had I known this five years prior, how much quicker I could have felt this completion with my loss Mm. and started to feel better and, and have a more productive life and be helpful for my kids. Um, So that's really where mine came from. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, you know, that that journey that, that you've had to go through. And, you know, you mentioned the stigma that's still hovering, you know, around death by suicide. And I'm, you know, I'm happy to hear that it sounds like you were presented with resources and, you know, things like that. And, but like you said, I I do feel like there is this misunderstanding in our culture in regards to grief about like the timeline and what it should look like. And, you know, even in like the DSM, you know, there's a diagnosis for grief called complicated bereavement. And I believe I didn't look at it before we sat down, but maybe, you know, I think it's like if someone's still experiencing certain impacts from grieving after a year, then that's when they're, it's considered to be complicated bereavement to the point that it becomes a mental health diagnosis. Right. Right. Yeah. As if a year is, you know, that's such an arbitrary number. Right. Right. Like, oh, <laughs> it's been 12 months. 
Time's up. Stop being Time's sad. up. <laughs> You're not allowed to grieve anymore to the extent that you've been grieving. So, all right, let's move on. Right. And I right. can, that's very, I feel like that's very shaming and just, again, I just, I, I don't know, parts of me can get activated when it comes to certain things in regards to diagnoses and whatnot. They can be helpful, but in terms of grief specifically, I feel like there's, again, just in our culture, maybe within America, it's just, we handle grief, I feel like, in maybe a colder way that can feel kind yeah. of clinical or kind of like, again, like, okay, here's your timeline and oh, how much time do you need away from work? You know, three days is all you get. Three, three <laughs> days, right? Yeah. And it like, better be an immediate family member or no. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I can't tell you, you know, because I've had my own experience, you know, with loss and working then at a university and, and that was, I felt very supported there, which I'm very grateful for. But then, you know, I also meet with other people like through my clients that maybe have gone through a death and yeah, their workplace is like, we need, <laughs> this just sounds so ridiculous, but I, they're like, okay, we need proof of the obituary. You know, you need to bring in a copy of that or yeah, you get how many days do you need? Oh, we give three, you know, we give like one to three days and I don't know. It's just, again, I, I feel like if we could have in our culture more of this understanding of what grief is, how it impacts us, and the benefit of offering and creating a supportive, just loving environment for anyone who's experiencing any type of grief. Like you said, how much time could that save the person being able to maybe feel some sort of sense of, I don't want to say normal again, but a sense of being able, like you said, to like live your life? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it is, like you said, it is a societal thing. Uh, we focus on attaining in mm -hmm. our culture. We are taught how to get things, including people. We're taught how to get the marriage, the family, but we're not taught what to do when we lose it. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's a lot of it. And it's weird because grief might be the one universal thing that no one's getting out of this earth without experiencing. Right. And we're not taught anything about it. I mean, ever, you know, there's no, no preparation mm -hmm. other than, you know, maybe what's modeled for you or what you observed in your life, which was probably more people that were really uncomfortable around grieving people. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so can you describe, cause I, I want to, uh, you know, help all of us who are listening and even myself, like get to really understand what is grief. Cause like you said, sure. it's something we're all going to experience. We can't get around it. So can you share what is grief? Absolutely. So in the grief recovery method, we have a couple of definitions that I think are really helpful. Um, the, the main one is really grief is a normal and natural reaction to a loss of any kind. And I want to emphasize of any kind, you know, we're not just talking about a death. We're talking about any loss, um, which brings me to, you know, the other kind of definitions. It can be um, the reaction to a loss or change in a familiar pattern or behavior. So something like 
I don't know what other people's experiences with school were, for example, but I loved my high school. I went with all girls. It was a very close knit bonding kind of experience. Uh, you know, the same people for years and years, you know, everyone really well. Graduation was absolutely a loss for me. You know, ending that familiar pattern and seeing those same people, that was grief for me. Um, so, you know, and it can also be unrealized hopes, dreams, expectations, having, you know, messages you didn't get to communicate or receive. You know, those those are all grief, all of them. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it looks different for everybody because, like I said, it doesn't have to be a death. Right. And I, and I, I love that you make that clear that it doesn't have to be a death, right? Because as you were sharing your example of yourself graduating high school, I had a memory pop up in my mind of when I went to college and I was in my dorm room and I was, I was able to live with one of my best friends. She also came to the same college and we got to room together, which was great. But I remember just being in my bed and it was, you know, now I feel like the dorms are these big suites, but this was like an old school, very small, two twin beds <laughs> right next to each other type dorm room. <laughs> and uh, we were sitting there watching TV and I just started crying and just feeling the sense of overwhelm and I just remember I put my blankets over my head, didn't say anything to my friend. And I remember she just kind of gently walked over and sat next to me and like put her hand like on my leg. And she was like, are you okay? And I was just like, I was like, parts of me were confused because parts of me were having a lot of fun and were excited, you know, cause I was living away from home. I was living with one of my best friends and but then it was like, looking back, I realized parts of me were grieving that I wasn't close to my parents, you know, anymore in terms of physically, I wasn't connected to my siblings in the same way. We weren't all living in the same house. I wasn't around all the same people. And even though it was exciting for, for these changes to happen, looking back, it's like, there were also I had this part of me that was grieving that change. So as you shared that, thank you for sharing that memory because that really resonated. Yeah. And I think you give a really great example where normal outside glancing in, you seem perfectly fine and adjusted and happy and you're with your best friend and what's not to love. But underneath there's this grief happening and that's okay. And it's normal. Right. Yeah. But you, but you could totally see where, you know, again, I think culturally, we're not taught how to be with people mm -hmm. when they're grieving or if we're grieving. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think with well intentions, people might see that and be like, Oh, you're totally fine. You're fine. Like, Oh, like you just said, like, Oh, look, you're, you're here and you're loving it, you know? And again, right. the positive intention of trying to help that person not feel that sadness or that grief. But at the same time, it's like, if we invalidate that or shame that or push that away, then it's not going away. It just might be covered up temporarily 
in IFS, we would say, you know, that that might be like these protector parts that are trying to cover up that grief to not be Mm -hmm. felt, but ultimately it's still there and it will come again. Like it's going to get activated. It's going to get triggered. And the system of you is going to feel that in one way or another. Yeah. It's interesting, right? To think about the different ways that we've experienced grief, but also how other people then respond. Yeah. The different forms of grieving. That's a, that's a hard thing because people don't know how to respond. So, you know, they might not respond at all. You know, anyone that's been through grief knows what I'm talking about. You're totally being avoided. Yes. And you know it, um, which is hard. And uh, it's, it's because they don't know what to say. They're afraid they're going to do, do or say the wrong thing. Um, right. You know, but I try to tell people the worst thing you can say is nothing at all. Mm. Truly. But yeah. And, you know, or they, or they do kind of what you were just talking about. You know, if, if, if you, the college student said, you know, I'm, I'm grieving. I'm, I'm really, really sad. I'm homesick. I'm, I'm having struggle with this. Their instinct is to force you to look at the bright side, right? Mm-hmm. Well, at least, at least you're this and, oh, it's not that bad and you shouldn't feel sad. You know, intellectually true, emotionally useless. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't tell people how to feel. Right. <laughs> so do you have any suggestions for people who are listening? And again, this is everybody, right? Because it's yeah. like, we're all going to encounter someone else who's grieving yeah. at some point yeah. in our life, right? So how would you suggest, yeah, the in terms of like language to be used or because like you said, the worst thing you can do is say nothing at all. Is it, yeah. is it some words that can be said? Is it actions, behaviors? Okay. For sure. Both. Um, the first thing you want to do is just, you know, common sense, put yourself in their shoes when you are, or were grieving, what would have felt good? What would have sounded good? What did you need? Cause they probably need the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of, one of the biggest things um, people do or say, and I know that they mean it and it's well-intentioned is I- I'm here for you. Let me know if you need anything. They need everything. They need mm-hmm. everything. And they are consumed right now. They don't even know what they need. So be, can you be specific? Just offer something. They mm-hmm. are not going to say no. Hey, I'm bringing dinner by tonight. Hey, I'm going to come over tonight and do homework with the kids for you. So you can get a little time alone, go take a walk or do what you do, what you want to do, um, you know, or just hear them. That's really the biggest thing. It's not even so much you saying the right thing is you saying, do you want to talk about this? Mm. What do you remember about him? Do you want to talk about what happened? What are you feeling right now? And just listen. Because yeah. everyone else is avoiding them. They're not getting an opportunity to talk. And that's really the number one thing that helps is just being heard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's that's great. Because again, I feel like culturally, at least here in America, it's, I'm so sorry for your loss. And, and again, I'm not saying this is all bad, right? But then let me send you a casserole, you know, a, f- a food, food item, which again mm-hmm. is a need in terms of eating. And I feel like it's a act of, of sharing love 
and care. And I also know through personal experiences too, where it's like, yeah, food is, is a necessity. And sometimes it can be a lot of food and you're not Mm -hmm. necessarily maybe that hungry uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) during certain parts of the grieving process. But like what you said, asking them specifically or being very specific about what you are going to do for them or asking them like, would you like to go for a walk or, Hey, I'm coming over. And yeah, like you said, I'm going to help the kids with their homework or let me do your laundry. Let me, you know, let me vacuum your house. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and, or, Hey, let me, give me your grocery list. I'm going to go to the grocery store and get what you need and don't worry about that. Right. Like, so I love what you're saying that it can be, it can be very specific and like something that if you put yourself in their shoes, what are some things that we need, you know, during that time? Yes, it's food, chores, but also it's let me talk to you and mm-hmm. listen to what you want to share with me. And I'm assuming probably right. It's going to differ for each person. Maybe for one person, they want to just feel your presence there and maybe they just need to sit and cry or maybe just sit in silence or maybe sit and watch something, you know, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. want to feel you there, right? Like they want to feel yeah. your presence there. Or maybe like you said, they want to go for a walk and be able to just talk about whatever it is, whether it's about their partner that they lost or the loss of a job or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing that because it is interesting. I do feel like parts of us, when we see someone else that's grieving, parts of us can get activated that then I think feel uncomfortable because it is this sense because we've never been taught really how to help someone, you know, in Mm -hmm. that when they're going through that, because then we don't even really know what to do within ourselves, because again, it's not really talked about in our culture. So you can totally see and feel. Yeah. Like, parts within certain people and within myself, I have felt that when I've been around someone who I know is going through a loss, not even around them, but like, I know I can text them or call them. I feel that hesitation Mm -hmm. of that part of me just being like, Oh, I don't know. What do we say? Or, you know, am I going to, (laughs) yeah. And it's that hesitation, which then just leads to, okay, I'll just, I'll just not. Yeah. Or we assume everyone else is. Right. So it doesn't matter, but really you should assume no one is. Everyone mm. is avoiding this person. You know, the worst possible time to feel completely alone. And yeah. they do. Yeah. So let me ask you this. How would you describe, how would someone know if they're grieving? It's really, it, it looks different for everybody. And I think that's a big thing, you know, and I'll go back to your example. You know, you were having a joyful experience but also feeling the sadness. And I'm going to guess in that time, you didn't know what you were feeling. You knew it was sad exactly. or unpleasant or you weren't liking it, but you weren't clear what that was. So I think it's important for people more to understand what causes it so that they can identify, you know, if they're feeling something unpleasant, ask themselves, am I experiencing a loss? Okay, then I'm grieving. And remember, I don't care how long ago it was, and I don't care if it was five years ago and you're just now feeling it, it's still grief. Sometimes we push things aside, like you said, 
uh, maybe the protector parts kept us from feeling it. Now something has happened that's brought this back up. So it's really hard to say there are specific, you know, things that would be happening or signs. Um, but there are some things that you might watch for in yourself or another person that can indicate that they have started or are still experiencing grief that they have not worked with. You know, one is avoiding, we call it STURBS in the grief recovery method. So it's short-term energy relieving behaviors. And those are things that um, people do more or less to avoid feeling. So, you know, mindless scrolling, endless Netflix binges, also like throwing yourself into something. Um, you know, suddenly obsessively cleaning and pulling out the fridge and vacuuming behind it, you know, things that are perhaps out of the ordinary or definitely intensified. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see people who on the outside, we, we're observing, we're always observing the griever and kind of judging where they're at, right? Mm-hmm. Whether we mean to or not, we're like, Ugh, I can't believe she's already back to work. You know, I can't, I can't believe, you know. Yeah. It's that it's their process, but maybe they're disturbing. Maybe they are becoming a workaholic or over exercising, or maybe they're overindulging. They're they're eating or you know sex, alcohol, drugs, something. It's all stuff that people do to kind of avoid. So right. that's that's a signal for yourself and another that you might say, "What am I avoiding? Is it grief?" Right, and 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 the IFS perspective, we would probably call those parts, the firefighter parts. Okay. Yeah. So the protector parts have like two categories in IFS, like the managers and the firefighters, the firefighters are the more, they're the more reactive parts of us. Like what, mm. exactly what you're saying, mm-hmm. right? They're the parts of us that help us distract, avoid, numb, soothe. Mm. Yeah. And so as you were describing that, I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right. Cause again, if if the person's experiencing that grief and then the system, you know, within them is like, eh, this doesn't feel so great. Or whether again, it's messages being received externally or whatnot. It makes sense then that this, these firefighter parts might be like, okay, yeah. Like let's, let's clean or let's eat or let's binge this Netflix, you know? So that makes total sense. And what did you say the acronym was? STIRP. So it's short-term energy-relieving behavior. Okay. S-T-E-R-B, STIRP. Yeah, mm-hmm. STIRP. That's great. Yeah. makes a lot of sense. So recognizing yeah. recognizing any STIRP, any firefighter part activation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, sometimes, go back to your example again, just trying to be aware of of how you're feeling. You know, a lot of it is just self-awareness. Um, so if somebody is hopefully a journaler, so that can help. So just kind of being aware of when you're having a new sensation or feeling or emotion that maybe you're not loving, uh, it doesn't feel good. You know, remembering the question, okay, what what is this tied to? Is it a loss? And remembering again that Loss is so many things, you know, we have probably 50 or more in a list in the Mm -hmm. method, and that's certainly not exhaustive. 
and death is just one on that list. So there's so many things. Yeah. Yeah. Can you think of some things on that list that maybe people wouldn't even think about that? Can yeah. Activate yeah. Grief. Um, loss of fertility mm. is a big one. Um, and it's really common. Mm. Um, and remembering that that is, that is for men and women. Yes. Um, you know, um, a lot of people that perhaps had, um, a miscarriage mm-hmm. or even an elective abortion, right. um, those, those can be a, a grief process. Um, and some people uh, don't realize that because they might say, but you know, I chose to do this. It was the right thing. You can still grieve this moving, mm-hmm. moving is a big one. And I know it's on all those lists you see of like the number one stressors for a person, you know, moving is always on that list. Leaving a job, whether it was by choice or not, is a huge one. You know, a, any kind of estrangement, perhaps, you know, this is big now. People are becoming more um, proactive in terminating toxic relationships, that they, yeah. they say. You know, and it might be, it could be a parent, a sibling. You know, that's still, even though you made the choice, that's still definitely a loss. And you are going to grieve that. Mm-hmm. Um, another big one is, um, when, when you have a loved one that's going through the Alzheimer's transitions yeah. or dementia, when you have a loved one that, um, is, has a terminal illness, you know, it's multifaceted because you almost have like the, this exact point where okay, this is the before and this is the after. And you're Mm -hmm. starting to grieve the before and you have anticipatory grief of the after. And, uh, you know, there can be a lot with that. Um, And then, you know, you have your obvious ones. You know, loss of a pet is a really big one. We have some grief recovery groups that are just pet loss. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Loss of safety Mm. is probably one of the least recognized. And this can happen when, Perhaps you had a home invasion. I've I've had I've had clients that their car got broken into and they got some loose change and that's it. You wouldn't realize that that was a loss of their sense of safety. Oh yeah. And 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 privacy and there was a grief grief experience around that. Um, mm-hmm. And then you know if you've if you've suffered um, you know sexual trauma or something abuse those can all be. Um, and then loss of relationship is really big one divorce, mm-hmm. even when it was absolutely necessary. And you're so, so glad to be finished with that part of your life. You can still grieve because it's an unrealized hope, dream or expectation. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't go into it with the thought that you were going to get a divorce. You had big plans. Right. So those are all things that are uh, probably less easily identified. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, you might not recognize it in yourself, but certainly society isn't looking at you thinking, oh, she's grieving, you know, so yeah. you don't have that support either. Right. Exactly. Oh yeah. Thank you for listing off those different examples. Cause again, it's when you hear the word grief, at least in my mind, immediately I, you think of losing a human being to death and then passing mm-hmm. away and not necessarily taking in all of those different ways in which grief can get activated, that it's a loss, but that loss can look so many different ways. And we Mm -hmm. just, 
maybe aren't, yeah, understanding to really ask ourselves that question, has a loss happened? And and again, I'll, I'll share, and I've shared this on the podcast before, but I, I had done some personal IFS work on connecting with the parts of me that were connected to grief within, because again, during the pandemic, well, right before the pandemic, we had our son like two months before the pandemic hit. And I almost feel like too, as we're talking about this, I feel like even, would you say, you know, like having a child come into the world is a big shift. Oh, and I absolutely. feel like, again, like it could be like, here's this awesome gift, but then you're having a loss maybe in some way about how it was before. Sure. Loss of lifestyle, loss of independence, loss of financial security. Right. It, it could look like a lot of things for people, even if it was their dream baby they wanted forever. It can right. still also be a loss. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So that was happening. We had our son and then we, at that time, daycares were closed. We had to go back to work and it was like, well, crap. So that's why we made the decision to move then an hour okay. and a half. We moved an hour and a half north, which is where I'm from here and where my parents are. And we were lucky and very grateful that they were able to watch our son for a period of time before he was able to get into daycare. And and then I left my job, <laughs> you know? So again, mm-hmm. it was like all these different losses, but I wasn't connecting that at the time. It was just like, cause they were by choice. It, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It was kind of like that feeling mm-hmm. of, okay, like we're making this decision to do this and we're making this decision to do that. And, and parts of me were excited about the changes and looking forward to the changes. And I also felt like at the time it was very much from the energy of like, this is just what we have to do now. Like, let's just, let we, this is what we got to do. Right. And it wasn't a lot of, I didn't, and my system didn't invite time to grieve, like to feel that grief of all these losses and these changes. And then fast forward two and a half years later, and I'm noticing energy within me that, like we say, doesn't feel so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, we, and and I didn't connect it until I was working with my own IFS therapist and they were doing a beautiful job in guiding me inwards and, and then con- having this connection with these yeah, these memories of that time in 2020 with all these changes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I've never connected with this part of me that's been carrying this grief all this time. And she needed to be heard. She needed to be seen. She needed to be felt and validated. And that experience was so healing for me. Because, yeah, I, uh, you know, parts of me had this beautiful intention of trying to protect me, protect the system mm-hmm. from maybe feeling overwhelmed by that. Or, you know, again, this feeling of we just got to we got to get going. Right. We got to create our, our own business because all, you know, we left our job, all this type of thing. And then I think maybe once things started to settle and there was a sense of kind of security again, maybe normalcy, quote unquote, I feel like maybe that's when I started to feel more specifically that grief getting activated, but not having the awareness that that's what it was until I did that 
introspective work. Yes. Yeah. And also imagine how busy you were. You had a brand new baby. You're moving. You're setting up a business. So although they weren't intentional, you were starving, you know, you were starving. And so you could, you didn't have time to feel your feels Mm -hmm. to even realize. And that's the other thing when I say, you know, people can be grieving and sometimes you need to think not what's happening right now, but what has happened, what has happened in the last year, Exactly. maybe two years, maybe it's longer. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because again, yeah, there. it's like, that's where there isn't a timeline. (laughs) There isn't a timeline for grief because as you're saying this, yeah, it makes so much sense. It's like at that time, in that example for me, it was, yeah, my, my stirbs, my firefighter parts, like they were doing what they needed to do to keep me going. My manager parts were doing what they needed to do to keep me going in that time. And again, I'm grateful for them. Mm-hmm. And then it was all right. I felt when it was time to maybe get curious about what was going on. What was I feeling? And again, I didn't necessarily put it together that it was from that grief two and a half, three years ago mm-hmm. until I was with someone that I felt safe with, like my IFS therapist, who I consider to be a guide for me, right? And having that environment, that space to connect with that. Yeah. And do you feel like, I feel like this could be maybe a good transition to the grief recovery method. Sure. Mm-hmm. And how that plays a big role yeah. in helping people connect with their grief. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I had, um, I spent five years doing all the things <laughs> mm-hmm. and I will not say that nothing helped because that's very untrue. Um, you know, therapy kept me going for goodness sake. Um, everything was helpful, but nothing was really the thing like the big light bulb weight off my chest oh this is the big difference you know and I think that what drew me initially to want to try the method was when I saw that it was the only evidence-based grief program in the world Mm. only and uh you know as a therapist I know in social work evidence-based is it's a big deal. Um, so the method is actually part of an ongoing study through Kent State University. Oh, okay. Um, so, and, you know, if you were to go to their website, you can see the studies, you can see some stuff about it. It's really neat. Um, but that was, that was what drew me in where I said, well, science says this one works. So we are going for it. Yeah. And then what I liked about it was it's a closed ended program. So unlike therapy, which takes as long as it takes. You can have a goal and say, I feel like maybe, you know, will we meet weekly for 12 weeks? You know, it's a, it's a loose goal though. It's still Mm open-ended. The grief recovery method is eight sessions. And it's really nice for somebody that uh, would like like a logical timeline and these actionable steps. So it's particularly helpful for people. And I, I've had people that had their loss was very fresh within a few weeks, even that were very successful in the program. But a lot of us are coming to it 
you know, as a, I've just now learned about the method, I've been looking for a while now. So most of most of us in that boat have tried different avenues that were not really action based. Probably it was talking, it was feeling, it was being curious and exploring and self discovery. But the grief recovery method is different in that every week you build upon the last week and you have these actions that are going to culminate in this piece de resistance on week eight, where it's your big wow thing that happens. For me, some of the things that were the most interesting were there's a component in which you actually kind of dissect your life as a timeline and you write down all your losses and boy, let me tell you that exercise, when you look at it, you give yourself grace like you've never done before. When you really see it in writing and you're like, oh my goodness, yeah, I, I've been so hard on myself. Look at all this grief, you know, and we start from, you know, our dawn of conscious memory to current day. And so that piece is really kind of what you build upon for the next several weeks. And then it's also educational. So you're learning about stirps. You're learning to recognize and identify your own stirps. Yeah. Um, you're learning what are your unrealized hope, dreams, and expectations? Where are those on the timeline? Are you still challenged by those? Probably if you've never really done the method, you're probably still challenged by everything on your timeline. I've seen people with six or seven grief experiences. I've seen people where they had to get a second or third sheet of paper because it's all coming up, you know? Yeah. So the method is nice because it gives you kind of this goal where you're like, okay, six more weeks, I can do this, you know? So because it is hard work and I tell people when they work with me in this method, it, it's kind of titrating every other week is going to be tough. And then, okay, that was a little easier. It was mostly, there's a companion book, you know, so it's mostly reading my chapter and thinking. Mm-hmm. And the next week, it's a, it's a heavy exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you build on these action steps. And a lot of it is, and then you talk about it. So the being heard component. And someone that's just there devoted to hearing about your loss and about what you, what needs to be said. But it's in a you know, a driven methodical way mm-hmm. rather than just kind of an exploration. Um, so it feels purposeful and um, it gives you kind of a sense of control in a time when you feel like you have none, mm-hmm. which is really nice. And then we encourage you to repeat, rinse and repeat. So after you've completed your presenting loss, you go back to your timeline and you've developed all these tools that on your own, you can do the method by yourself and repeat that process with everything on your timeline. So you can continuously work through, you know, old grief that you didn't process yet mm-hmm. and uh, continue to heal and move forward. And very likely your timeline will continue to grow and you'll be jotting things down. But, you know, it's it's nice. It's a method. And once you've learned it and worked through it, you can repeat that without the necessity of someone like me helping you, you, you have what you need to move forward on your own. Okay. So would you say, so there's eight sessions Mm -hmm. and then is each session like 50 minutes long, like being with you as a provider, how does that necessarily look? So we, we offer it. And by we, I do mean me, um, it's offered in a couple of formats. So, um, people that are local, 
I do do um, in-person groups at my office um, in Cincinnati. And a group can be as small as three people. And I can have up to, I usually cut it off around eight people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do those probably four times a year as a group. And then we also do online groups. So it would be in a Zoom format. Um, And again, it would be me and about eight people. And then you kind of partner off. So, you know, you break out into a room or you turn your chairs if we're in person to do the sharing so that you get to be heard. And you also get to practice being there for a griever and understanding what what to say, not say, how to hold space. So in, in addition to kind of healing for yourself, you're learning since society didn't teach us, you're learning how to support other grievers. So you feel really comfortable and confident doing that for others in your life. I also do one-on-one work. So uh, that's usually on Zoom. And it would just be a, a one-on-one and I'd be your partner. I'd act as a, the partner would have in the group. And it really depends, but I allow up to two hours for group sessions and up to about an hour for one-to-one sessions. Um, sometimes we don't need a whole two hours or hour. It depends how much is coming up and how much there is to share. But it usually doesn't take any longer. Yeah. Okay. So you're offering both the option. If someone maybe would feel more comfortable just being one-on-one with you, they can do that. Mm -hmm. And that lasts about an hour per session. And then if someone was open to the group experience, that could be an hour to two hours per session. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, there isn't a right or wrong. Um, It's what you're comfortable with. I have some people that just really, really don't like, you know, peopling that want one-on-one. I have some people who they work weird hours and they can't commit to every Tuesday at eight, you know, with the group. So they schedule as they need to independently. So there's really no wrong or right. I did my own in a group and I really liked that format, but one-on-one is super effective as well. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, when I worked at the university at the counseling center, you know, we hosted many different therapy groups and we would always be looking at the research of the benefits between individual and group therapy Mm -hmm. and group therapy always kind of came out on top yeah, (laughs) over the one-on-one because of, I think that element of community and support, right. Mm -hmm. That, 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 that feeling can really, I really, I, I think help the parts of us feel again, validated, heard, understood, really felt and when it's met with that compassion and understanding. And it's also interesting because I feel like for a number, I'd say for the probably majority of people, I could be wrong, is that they may have parts within them that are fearful of going into a group setting. And whether it's fear of judgment or being seen, you know, Mm -hmm. and that can kind of prevent some people from maybe, you know, trying that out. And I guess, would you have any I mean, obviously you're providing both options, which I think is great, right? Because for one person, the group might not be a better fit. It might be that they really need one-on-one with you. Mm-hmm. And is it meeting every every week for eight weeks in a row? Yes. So it's once a week and we usually do, you know, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Those tend to be the best. We tend to do it in the evening so that if people are working, because this isn't something you can, you know, log on on your lunch hour uh, to do right. because you probably won't be as functional afterward. You know, you need yeah. you need to decompress. 
And then when it's um, an individual, if it's one-on-one, we just, we just schedule, we compare calendars and just schedule it out. And I still encourage once a week, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, ideally you don't want to go too long between and you don't want to push too much together. Um, The method is designed that you can do it twice in one week. So Mm -hmm. it can be a one month program meeting twice a week for four weeks. I don't typically schedule those. I personally, as someone that's done this several times, I just feel like that's a lot, a lot to process in one week. I think once a week is is much better um, okay. spacing. And the one thing I will say, I think kind of to your point, that I, the number one thing I get people say, if it's not about their schedule, when they're debating between one-to-one and a group, it's the people that are questioning the validity of their loss. Mm. Now, whether they realize they're doing it or not, that is what they're saying when they say, well, I don't know, you know, if, if I'm in there with people that lost a child, you know, I'm just, I'm just sad because my marriage is ending. I don't feel like I should be with them. Loss is loss is loss. There is no comparison. Grief is grief. There's nobody that's grieving harder or better, you know, mm. and like Ram Dass says, we're here to walk each other home. And the other people in the group know that every loss is going to be different and they want to walk you home. So, you know, anyone listening that might be thinking about that, I just want to encourage group if you can, is my suggestion Mm -hmm. for sure. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That was really beautiful. We're all here to walk each other home. It's beautiful. And I'm curious too, because you mentioned that part of it is them writing on a timeline of their losses sharing that in pairs or with you and then maybe practicing also then listening mm-hmm. and taking that in uh, in terms of someone else sharing. And then are there any other components within the grief recovery method that maybe involve, I guess one thing that's coming to my mind is like yoga or anything like that, like our meditation mm-hmm. or sure. So it, um, it's very specific because it's part of an ongoing study um, that it is just the method. We do not bring in any aspect of spirituality or religion. I will never start with the let's take a deep breath. Nothing. It is strictly grief recovery method, very, very closed unit. That's all we're going to do. Okay. However, I have complimentary services from my other background that I do incorporate as part of grief worker support, whether it's simultaneous on a different day, or if you want to wait till you finish the method and then follow up with some of the somatic work or something else to kind of support your work going forward. Okay. And what are some of those other healing modalities that you offer in your practice? Sure. So, you know, I did train formally on Ashtanga yoga. If anybody knows about that, that is a powerful, sweaty, upside down type of yoga. And I've really moved away from that as I specialized in grief. So I do teach uh, yoga still, but I teach a restorative yoga. So I find that to be very supportive. Um, I'm also trained in yin yoga, which focuses on the energy meridians in the body. So I do weave elements of yin into my restorative classes and we focus on grief. 
So things that are healing, um, opening and protecting of the heart space and, you know, the lung meridian and anything associated with those grief feelings. Restorative is nice if you're not familiar with it, because it is almost like this weird yoga nap, pillows. You're mm-hmm. totally getting the benefits of the pose without actively holding it. Um, hard to explain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I do that. I, um, I also do breath work. Breath work is probably one of the most accessible things for everyone. You do not need to be in a classroom with me. It's easy to do online. It's easy to learn. It's easy to replicate without help later. So I do a lot of breath work. Um, again, you know, with with a focus of grief or trauma in mind. And then I do Reiki. I think that Reiki is just universally healing for anything, anything which ails you. Uh, mm-hmm. Reiki can be incorporated. Um, and then I do a, a specialized kind of meditation. Um, it's called yoga nidra. Um, so it has yoga in the word, which people think it's going to mean moving around, but it's not. Um, it literally means yoga sleep. Um, so it's a meditative practice that kind of has some body awareness and um, it moves you through the different layers of yourself, your body um, that are called koshas. Um, and it's about, you know, usually between 30 minutes and an hour for a session. And then I follow up with a sound bath. So uh, in that kind of class, you're, you're laying uh, all, I call it a nest, you know, you're all cocooned and comfy and just listening to my voice and doing your meditation. And then you just stay put. And then the crystal bowls begin to sing. And it's just like, you know, a massage for your nervous system. It's really nice. Mm -hmm. And Yoga Nidra has some really interesting, you know, science behind it. Research shows, you know, incredible surges of dopamine and serotonin. um, And the, the brain behaves as if it just got a two hour nap after a 30 minute yoga nidra session, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, Really supportive if you're healing from grief, because, you know, a huge symptom of grief is brain fog and fatigue. Mm, So um, that can really help. Yeah. Oh, all those things you just listed. (laughs) All my parts are like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love all those things. And especially it was interesting in my yoga, in my yoga teacher training, it wasn't until like one of the last, I think it was the very last weekend of our training that they introduced restorative yoga. Mm. And on that day, something clicked for me. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Yes. You know, it was like, <laughs> it was a, a, a six month training of like, yeah, learning all these other things about yoga, of course, but it wasn't until that restorative day that I was like, this is what I'm in alignment with. And so, yeah. yeah, restorative yoga is something that I'm deeply passionate about. I just feel like it's, oh, it's such a beautiful resource and something that, again, like people can do on their own in some, some manner, like after, you know, getting used to some of like those poses and different props that they can use as support and can utilize those in their own meditation practice, let's say. And breathing practices. And, and I, I, I feel like, again, it can be sometimes in, 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 a, in our culture, it's like, oh, okay, we're going to yoga to really sweat it out or, which again is another great form of yoga. Like if that's what your body's and spirits like really needing. And then mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes people can look at restorative yoga and be like, well, what's the, 
what's the purpose? You know, I'm not sweating. I'm, I'm lying here, you know, leaning against this bolster and, you know, but you got to go experience it. You have yeah. to go experience it to really it's so hard feel, to describe. <laughs> right. It's like, well, we're going to lay here for <laughs> in these 10 various, to 20, <laughs> yeah, for 10 to 20 minutes in this pose. And then we're going to switch to a new pose and stay there for 10 to 20 minutes. <laughs> and when you hear that, yeah, I can understand parts of people being like, okay, so <laughs> what's going on. And, and again, it's like, yeah, you just got to go experience a restorative class or an experience with you because it's just, it's restorative. <laughs> I know that it, sounds it silly, really but it's it. It's restorative. Yeah. And the yeah. Reiki, I'm also a huge fan of. I was introduced to Reiki when I was like, I want to say maybe like 15 years old. I was oh, wow. on I was on a a mission with my, the church that I was raised in and we were helping like build homes and whatnot. And uh, I was wearing shorts this day and a bee flew up my shorts and stung me (laughs) on on the butt cheek. And that was very uncomfortable. And uh, there was a woman present that was from our church, but she was trained in Reiki. And she said, can I try something if you're comfortable? She's like, I'm not going to touch you. She's like, but I I need you to lay down on your belly. We were like in the back of a car (laughs) and she's like, I just, are you open? Do you feel okay with me doing this? And I was like, yes, because it hurt so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I remember laying there and I couldn't see what she was doing. I had no idea what she was doing at the time. And yet I felt that pain from that bee sting, like pulsing and then shifting and then eventually subsiding. And I, and again, she wasn't touching my skin. And mm-hmm. I remember I like looked back at her and I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I said, this is, <laughs> I'm feeling the pain shift and it's softening to a big degree. And that's when uh, eventually I sat up and talked with her more and she explained to me what Reiki was. And uh, I, from that point, I just felt like that was, again, just a beautiful resource that's out there that can help aid in different types of healing. For sure. Yeah. A a bee sting to grief, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and sound bath. Oh yeah. That too is, is again, it's like, you got to experience it to really understand what it feels like. And cause it's unlike, it's unlike anything else when it comes to just turning on meditation music, right. Which can be really Mm -hmm. helpful and grounding and, but being in a room, are you the one playing it? I am. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that is in itself is huge, right? Mm Because you are there with these beautiful singing bowls and crystal bowls and it's just the vibrations. Yeah. Just kind of that acoustic resonance therapy. I think you know, it's, it's interesting if people haven't felt it, you know, it's when you're, when you're in the traffic and the person next to you has that face and you can kind of feel it vibrate. Mm -hmm. That's how a sound bath is, but with, with pleasant sound and at specific frequencies Mm -hmm. um, that are meant to, you know, resonate in certain areas of the body and stimulate or calm, you know, your endocrine system and you know, your nerve bundles and just different things. It's really hard to explain mm-hmm. uh, 
how pleasant it is. Yeah. It's beautiful. So how can people find you if they're interested in working with you for any of these modalities, especially the grief recovery method, all of this stuff we've talked about today, how can someone find you? And is there any restrictions at this point for you in regards to, do people have to be like physically in the state of Ohio or, you know what I mean? In terms of anything like that. Um, so, you know, as you said earlier in the show, I'm, I'm currently in my graduate program to be licensed. Um, so right now I'm, I'm an unlicensed professional. So, which is fine. The grief recovery method isn't considered therapy. It's actually considered an educational program. Um, so I am not limited to uh, practice within a specific state. Um, however, because it is an educational program, uh, there is no, you know, reimbursement from, you know, any uh, like insurance, insurance or anything yeah. like that. You, you can't put it on a flex spending or HSA. It just, it's an educational program. It's not considered a therapy, but uh, that's why, you know, I can do online work with anyone. Um, so, you know, uh, the only limitation is uh, because I'm unlicensed, you must be 18 or over. I cannot work directly with a child. We do have, and I did train for um, a special program we have, if that is of interest for anyone, um, called uh, Helping Children with Grief. So if you are an adult who works with or has children that are grieving, it's a four-session class that we can go through where I teach you. It's a very modified method to work with children through, uh, through grief. Um, and I've had a lot of parents go through it, but I've also had educators, um, some first responders, um, things like that, that have felt that it was very helpful. Um, so um, I cannot work with children until after I've been licensed. Okay. Um, but it, I have a website. It's kerryreilly.co. Um, you, you will be redirected. So because I have a physical uh, yoga studio, the studio name is When In Own. So both websites exist, but they take you to the same place. Mm-hmm. So if you see the name pop up differently, that's why. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. I'm on social media also under the same, uh, the handle just matches um, my website. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram and it's just carryreilly.co. Perfect. And I'll put all these things in the show notes so people can have an easy access to clicking on your website link and seeing your handles for Facebook and Instagram and all of that. Super. Thank you. And there is a page on the website that's devoted specifically to the grief recovery method. There's a a link in it as well that takes you to their site directly and my provider page there. And that's where you'll see also if you wanted to look into any of the uh, research and things like that. Perfect. And I also saw on your website, you have a bunch of free stuff on there too. Yeah. Who doesn't have a freebie? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, a lot of them are some quizzes or assessments. So similar to the night I met you, Natalie, you can learn uh, where in your body uh, you might be holding on to grief or trauma. Um, And again, I use the chakra system as kind of a map for the body. So you identify it that way. I also have a, a quiz for shadow work. But again, uh, anybody that's familiar with shadow work, you know, the shadows are created when you have a grief or trauma experience. So, you know, everything kind of ties together. Um, I have a free recording of a yoga nidra session if you wanted to try that out. I have a couple of downloads from the grief recovery method. There's an EB book. 
So there's a few freebies in there. Uh, Anybody could probably find something of interest. Absolutely. You've got some great stuff on there. So yeah, if you're interested in working with Carrie, getting access to some of her beautiful free offerings on there, go to her website at carryreilly.co. Check her out on social media. And thank you so much, Carrie. I felt like this this was really an important conversation to have. And hopefully the listeners you know, as they come to the end of listening to this episode, they feel like they've learned something, whether about maybe their own experiences of loss and how that's impacted them, but also maybe how to maybe feel more comfortable connecting with someone else who's going through a loss. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I enjoy talking about it. I, I love getting this message out to more people. Yeah. Well, thank you again for being on. All right, everyone, I will talk to you all next time. Bye.